Well, good morning, church. My name is Jarissa. And I'm Josh. And we just want to welcome you to Fairfax. If you're joining us in person or online, we are so happy to have you here this morning. We have a few things going on this week and coming up in the life of the church that we just want to invite you into. So if you're going to engage in those things, you can find them on the QR code that's on your seat or look on our church app and you can find them there as well. Awesome. So first thing we have for you is our next global impact trip leaves in January and we are going to Zambia. And in Zambia, we have a long-term partner named Villages of Hope and they seek to um, really raise up orphans and the vulnerable children to be next generation leaders who are centered on Christ. It's an incredible organization that we are really proud to be a part of partnering with. And so if you wanna learn more about how to be a part of that trip, you can um, just hang out after the next week's service. So we have uh, an interest meeting that's after the second service next week. And so we encourage you to come stop by and learn more about the trip. Yeah, that is awesome. So parents, this one is for you. Right now, we are living in a world where technology, the internet, and social media are all fighting for your family's attention. Have you ever felt like you're struggling with setting good boundaries for your kids or equipping them to be successful online? Well, Fairfax Kids wants to talk about it. So on October 7th, Fairfax Kids is holding a workshop for parenting in a technological world. This is for parents who want to build skills to gain resources for kids of all ages. So you can sign up for it on our events page or by checking it out on the website. Um, and also you can check out the Fairfax Kids team on, in the family lobby and they can help you sign up as well. Sweet. This next one, Jerris and I are really excited about. On October 18th, we are launching our next Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. And um, we did this for the first time back in the spring. We launched this course and we had over 70 folks who went with us on that journey through the course. And it was just incredible. It was incredible to, to be there with everybody through the eight weeks and to just see how God was working each and every person's life. And people that in different you know, places in their faith, different stages of life, and just heard many stories of how God used that course to impact folks. And so, um, you know, we're opening up registration soon. And so we wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. And we thought uh, there wouldn't be a better way to do it than to have someone who went through the course come up and share a little bit about their experience. So would you guys get up for Louie, who's going to come up and join us. Get up for Louie. Woo! You guys might, you might have seen Louie before. He volunteers in seven different places. So he's awesome. We, we really appreciate all that you do around here, Louie. So um, great. So we got a couple questions for you just to share a little bit about your experience with the course. So one of the unique things about this course is it ties together our emotional and mental health which are with our spiritual life. And so, um, Louie, just want you to share a little bit how this course like uniquely challenged you to grow in your walk with God. Definitely. Um, this course challenged me in a lot of ways, a lot of great ways. Um, I think I came to this course with a lot of preconceptions of how my relationship with God should look like or be like. Um, one course that we spoke on was family of origin. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with imperfect parents and uh, a lot of times I was disciplined. And uh, I just thought that in my relationship with God that I would be disciplined in the same way. And uh, this course really helped dismantle those misunderstandings and gave me a new light, uh, a new perspective on 
the loving relationship that God has for me and how uh, Christ cares for me. So I was really appreciative about that. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing about that. That's a really awesome example of what God did uh, through you in the course as well. Um, the last question that we have for you is who would you recommend this course to and why? Uh, I would recommend this course for just about everyone, uh, new or mature in your faith. Um, a lot of times, I know for me, uh, I felt maybe stuck or I was just seeking a way to uh, just take the next step and how can I become closer in a relationship with Jesus? And this course really helped highlight how uh, that can be done. And um, so whether you're afraid to open up about your emotions or you're just afraid to get deep, uh, this course helps provide a safe space to do that with brothers and sisters. And uh, yeah, it's, it's for everybody. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that and just sharing about your personal experience <laughs> overall. Yeah. Um, so as we talked about, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course will launch on October 18th. It'll meet for eight weeks right here at the church. Uh, it'll be $35, which is just to cover your course materials. No matter what, who, where you are in your faith, as Louis said, this course is for you. God is always challenging us to take the next step, and we can do that through this course and learn more about that in this course. So you can register for it online, and Josh and I will be out in the lobby as well to help you sign up or answer any questions you might have. Awesome. And lastly, Fairfax, we just want to say thank you to all of you who give generously to this place. God is just doing some incredible things that we all get to be a part of. It's helped made possible by your generosity. So thank you so much. And before we go on and continue with the service, just wanted to share a little word of encouragement to us and to, to all of us of just about giving. And um, one thing that I was thinking of is the Apostle Paul in Acts, he quotes Jesus right? He's like, here's one of the things that Jesus said all the time. And Jesus, he says this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's like, this is what Jesus said all the time. Remember that? And the word blessed there is makarios in the Greek, which literally means happy, to be happy, that you actually be happier if you give rather than receive, that Jesus taught that living a life of generosity leads to greater joy and happiness in our lives. If you're like me growing up or in my early adult years, I was like, Jesus, you're awesome, I trust you, but maybe not with that because I'm not sure I quite believe that because our culture's like, accumulate more, accumulate more, hold on to what you have, like that's how you get, that's how you achieve happiness and, and joy and stuff. And Jesus flipped that upside down. 25% of the times that Jesus taught, he mentioned and pointed to, to generosity and how we should share what we have and that through that, God does an incredible work through and inside of us that, that we actually become more about who God created us to be. We become more loving. We become deeper trust with God. We grow in our trust with God. And, and certainly my wife and I have experienced that in our lives as we've tried to grow in the grace of giving. And so uh, Fairfax, thank you again for all of you who give. If you'd like to be a part of this generous community, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And I encourage you to pray about that and check that out. And so that's all Driss and I have for you. And um, thanks for hanging out and, and listening to us. We've got a cool video and then uh, we'll continue on with the message. When life goes in a completely different direction than we had planned, God is always at work behind the scenes to redeem the situation. 
see all of you. Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I want to just start out apologizing for a little bit of a, probably the head cold that you hear through my voice this morning. It's been a little bit of a week um, where I've been kind of walking through the head cold and uh, bits of sneezing and all that. You understand that? You with me on that? Okay, I think it's even too early for flu season. I Trust me, I took 800 COVID tests. You're not in danger. Okay, because um, I was sure that that's what it was, but no, I'm good, but just uh, just a little bit um, under the weather, a little, so I um, just wanted to let you know where that was coming from this morning. So um, I am, though, um, was determined to be here with you this morning because we're going to get into a concept today that has really meant something deep and important to me this week um, that I didn't really know. Um, and learned a lot about it this week that's in this book of Ruth that we've been going through together. And so I'm hoping that um, it hits you where it hit me um, and that you leave here this morning different than you came in, um, knowing God better um, and understanding his word and just being steeped in this. And so I'm excited to get there with you. Um, so we're going we're gonna to journey into that. I want to start with asking you, have any of you, just raise your hand, have you ever done any um, research on your genealogy, like looking about where you came from? Okay, so quite a bit of you. Um, I find this really fascinating, and I found myself um, at different times in my life really kind of digging into that um, through some of those websites that are available and all those kinds of things. And um, as I was sick in bed this week, that was a great time to get that back out and um, start digging in deeper. And I came across some new things this week that I thought were just incredible and kind of fascinating. Um, at first, I learned that I have some distant relatives. You know, when you start searching off different people, you know, all these people come up and then you start searching off that one and searching off that one and searching off that one. I found out that I had some, some distant relatives and their last name was Ping, P-I-N-G. Any golfers in here? Any golfers? If you're a golfer, you know that name, right? Ping is like a really famous, maybe not as quite as it used to be, but a famous brand of golf clubs. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm rich. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a Ping relative. All the money's going to start flowing in, right? But it was not meant to be. Um, I did, however, find a bunch of photos of some of these folks that I have distant, relation, distant relationship with. Um, this, this is Job and Christina Ping. Okay, and it's a flyer for this like family reunion thing that they have. Um, I don't know if they still have it or anything, but you can see this is 1957 when they had this reunion. Um, so that's Job and Christina. Here's a bigger picture um, of Job. And I was thinking about Job and what his parents were thinking. <laughs> they were sitting around going, hey, we're going to have a baby. What, would you, what, would you, what should we name him? Oh, I know. How about Job? You know, this tortured character in the Bible, that'll make his life awesome, right? So here's Job, who I've got some connection with, okay? Um, and then um, there's a lot, of more, a lot more pings that 
um, started to show up in this, okay? In the 1870s, this is an article that was in a newspaper. You can hardly read it, but I'm going to read it for you. It says this. It says, in an election difficulty, which what they were trying to settle Saturday near Somerset, Kentucky, Esquire, William Ping, was badly wounded, and his son John was killed by Thomas and Charles Jones, two of the principals in a row. Frank Hines was also seriously wounded by the Jones boys, okay? So during an election day agreement, this distant relative of mine, justice of the peace, William Ping and his son John tried to break up this fight, and John was killed. Now, that's awful, and what's really strange about that to me is something that I've already knew about my family, was that um, my grandfather, okay, his grandfather was a sheriff back in a little small town in Indiana, okay? And my grandfather used to tell me the story all the time when he was four years old about how his grandfather, the sheriff, um, was shot to death. And so I'm like, okay, this is, there's another thing here. It's kind of strange, right? So we've got these, these kind of weird things going on, okay? So that led me to more information, of course, about the pings. Here's another set of pictures, okay? I found these pictures in a book that was been, that's been published by a, a closer relative that's, that's we're starting to get into a different timeline, okay? And um, there was this woman named Dorothy Duncan. This was the book that um, has been written by this guy that is, uh, is still alive right now, okay? And Dorothy Duncan was a ping. Um, she grew up a ping and lived on a farm, and I found this on the book. And she was a bit of a poet, and she wrote this poem about winter in Indiana. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Winter in Indiana, that's where I grew up. And here's what she wrote, okay? Here's the poem. It says, um, the wind was cold and it did blow across the bricky prairie. But there I was out there so bold, although it was quite airy. The water froze, the pans were empty, but this we remedied quite simply. We thawed them out, we filled them up, then it did go to thaw our toes. <laughs> This is my life growing up in central Indiana. Why is it when to farm we go, it has to turn cold and also snow? Why can't it stay sunny and warm when we make a trip to the Bricky Farm? Can you give it up for Dorothy? That's pretty good, right? Um, who knew I had a writer down the line, all right? And then that brought me up to more modern times. There's this guy, John Howard Ping. And note, if you can note this picture, he had... 20 siblings, wow, is right. He was one of 20 siblings, right? And look where he ended up passing away, in the District of Columbia, okay? Had no idea, all right? Now, this is all on my mom's side, okay? Um, and um, the person that this kind of trails off on is the, the Witherbees that were on my mom's side, okay? And I found out that some of them had roots in New Jersey, up here in the Northeast, okay? Um, and during the Revolutionary War times, okay? I found a man named John the Brewer Valite, okay? That was his name, John the Brewer. So obviously John was brewing something, right? Probably beer, right? John the Brewer Valite. And then there was John the Weaver Valite, okay, so John the Weaver was probably weaving something. That was his job, okay? And they were both related to this man 
Daniel the lead, okay? And he's a fascinating character because we find out about him that he was a captain, okay? And that seven of his children served in the Revolutionary War, okay? And so I'm finding all this out and I'm like, wow, this is all kind of interesting stuff about who's connected to my family tree somewhere. But here's where it gets really interesting, okay? Here's why this is all worth it this morning, okay? Daniel was married to a woman named Peggy Springsteen. Peggy Springsteen from New Jersey. Now, how many Springsteens can there be in New Jersey? Thus, I am related to Bruce Springsteen. Are you with me? Where's a guitar? No. If I touch that, someone will be mad at me. I'm convinced now, in my own mind, and through all this evidence, that me and Bruce, it's amazing that he doesn't invite me to all his stuff, right? Once he finds this out, you guys may never see me again, you know, be hanging out with Bruce. Okay, now, why, why have I put you through this ridiculousness this morning? Here's why, okay? Maybe by understanding a little bit of the backstory of my life, some of it really, really connected and true and some of it possible, right? Maybe you understand and know me just a little bit better, right? Maybe you have just a little bit better clue of who I am, all right? It maybe explains things about me a little bit more, right? That genetic tree explains things um, about you and it explains things about me, right? And we see the decisions that relatives make, right? All those things that happen along the line that whether we know it in the moment or not, but as things unfold, they all have some kind of an impact on our lives, right? On the decisions that were made, where people went, what they did, who they were, um, set um, you and me on a certain trajectory that, um, that we really had nothing to do with, but it certainly does affect who we are, okay? And that's true for me, and that's true for you today. And we're in this study of the book of Ruth. We're looking at this family, Ruth, Naomi, um, Boaz, some of these other characters, this family. And in this section of Ruth 3 that we're going to look at today together in a minute, Boaz, who you met in this journey last week and as we've been going along, this distant relative of Naomi and Ruth um, through marriage, he calls Ruth a woman of noble character, right? He kind of knows her. We've talked about that last week. And there's another interaction that we're going to get into today. And at this one moment when they're together, he's, he looks at her and he calls her a woman of noble character. And it's true, she is, right? But the family that she is connected to, um, her roots, not always the case, right? Not always the case. Um, in Jesus' day, the genealogies of the time um, were a big deal for a number of reasons, okay? A genealogy would determine um, whether someone was related to the priesthood, okay? It also would determine if a person was in the royal line, and it would influence um, how the family inheritance um, would be passed on. Therefore, everybody was a stickler for 
genealogies. And the genealogy of Jesus is found in Matthew 1, and it reads kind of like a crazy soap opera, okay? Um, there's David, you know, we all know who David was, plucked from obscurity to become, you know, the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel, the man that we're told was after God's own heart. And David's name is usually associated with a couple of people which represent both his greatest victory and his greatest defeat. All right, Goliath reminds us of his greatest victory when he killed this nine foot six inch um, Philistine. And then there is um, Bathsheba, another name that comes along that's associated with David, with whom he fell into, um, with, uh, into the sin of adultery with. And not only was David guilty of adultery, but in his attempt to cover that up, um, an innocent man lost his life. And the repercussions of that sin were repeated not only in David's life, but also in the lives of um, his children. David still, though, made it into the most exclusive family tree in human history, the genealogy of Jesus. And then there's Abraham. Okay, we all know who Abraham is. He was a great man of faith. He considered the father of faith. But he even had his flaws and his shortcomings. We know that he lied about who his wife was um, to save himself, right? Um, and, and we translated that in those days. We're told that that was a complete lack of trust in God. Yet God established Abraham as the father of the Jewish people and clearly placed him in the messianic line. Okay, Tamar, who we're going to talk about more next week in the story of Ruth, is named um, in this famous genealogy, which is really shocking. In Genesis 38, we read about um, her life and prostitution and deception, and there's really no redeeming value um, that we read about, about her and her life, but she's in this messianic line, okay? And then there's this woman named Rahab, who you may remember, um, we're told is a prostitute. She was a Gentile. She was an inhabitant of Jericho, right? And when the Israeli spies went in to see whether they could go into the land, she helped them, right? Um, she hid them in her home. And because of her act of kindness, because of this character choice that she made, right, the Israelites spared her and her household. And then even more Amazingly, she was brought into the messianic line as the wife of a man named Salmon. Okay, and now get this Salmon, all right, she marries Salmon and she becomes the mother of Boaz. Okay, so Boaz, who we know and understand his characters in this story so far, right? Um, who was David, David is Boaz's great-grandfather. So Rahab, with a pretty questionable past, is the mother of, an extreme, of this extremely noble and godly character in our story named Boaz. And then we come to Ruth, who we've been focusing on, who this book is all about. Um, and here's what we find out about Ruth, okay? She was a Gentile, right? She was married, of course, as we know, to... to, to um, one of two sons born to Naomi, and Naomi's husbands die, the sons die, and she decides to return home to Israel. And Ruth makes this famous statement that we read about in the first week where she says this. She says, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. It's an amazing statement when you consider the fact that Ruth was this Moabite 
And we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but the Moabites were among um, the worst enemies of Israel. Um, yet here was this woman who was a Moabite, this pagan woman who came to faith in God. She married Boaz and became the grandmother of Israel's greatest king, David. An amazing lineage, an amazing story. And Ruth's great-grandson, this is way down the line, Solomon devoted almost an entire chapter of the Bible to describing a woman of noble character. Who was his model? His mother. How did he understand the idea of noble character? He found it in his mother, Ruth. Who was she? Simply someone who loved God, someone who loved her family. You know, she was a protector. She was wise, she was faithful, and she was bold. She was incredibly bold. Now, I tell you all of this to get to this moment and this point, and I want you to, 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 to sort of sink this, sink this into your heart, okay? It should give hope to all of us or anyone who has struggled in life. In this genealogy, we have God in his mercy doing for sinners like you and me what they can't do for themselves. You know, mending broken lives, putting together shattered hopes. In the book of Ruth and all through the Bible, the work of God in doing all this is described in one word. There's a word that describes the work of God in putting people's lives back together in taking the shattered and gluing it all back together and making it into something amazing. And that word is this word, hesed. Can you say that with me? One, two, three, hesed, okay? This is an important term, okay? This is an important thing, all right? It's a powerful and profound Hebrew word, okay? It describes the covenant love of God toward his people and this benevolent relationship that we're supposed to have between each other. Okay, I can't emphasize enough how important this word was in scripture. Here's a couple of ways to think about it. It was said that um, the world stands on three things in ancient times. Scripture, service, and hesed. That's the importance of this concept and this idea, how it was elevated so much. Um, and there was, there was ways that it was tried to be compared. It said, how can you compare Hesed? And it says, let's compare it to a stool. One of its legs <laughs> becomes loose. A pebble was placed under the leg and it held firm. So as it were, it is the throne of God. It became infirm and it was propped up with Hesed. So, so when something was loose, when something needed support, when something was a little bit shaky, when something wasn't quite what it needed to be, what, what came in to save the day, what came in to prop things up, what came in to make it sure was this idea and this concept of hesed, okay? There's a key verse about hesed, it's in Micah 6.8. It says, he has told you, O people, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. 
Um, there was a rabbi that described it this way. It says, it is born in the generosity of faithfulness, the love that means being ever present for the other in hard times as well as good, love that grows stronger, not weaker over time. It is love moralized into gestures of help and understanding, support and friendship, the poetry of everyday life written in the language of simple deeds. It's like this big, heavy, thick, unbelievably important structure-holding concept that's available to us by inserting it and living it out every day in simple deeds. That is amazing. That is what we get from our God. Not only is that what he is about, not only is that kind of loving kindness being demonstrated to us and given to us all of the time available to us, but it's also what he's calling us to. And it's also what we get to see in Ruth, which is why the study of her in this book is so important to us. Um, this is gonna be an important concept, this idea of hesed as we go along today. God orchestrated all of these things in his hesed, okay? Um, leading to this connection between Ruth and Boaz. And Ruth and Boaz lived out has said in their lives, they had noble character, okay? What I wanna get at today is this idea of character, you know, it really matters. Sometimes it gets discounted and, and maybe we don't think about it enough. Um, now, understand this though, it doesn't, it doesn't mean this, okay? It doesn't somehow make us more acceptable to God um, or loved by God, okay? But God can use the noble character that we find it within ourselves to display based on what he's doing in our lives, right? He can use that to accomplish his mission and purpose in the world, oftentimes in ways that, you know, we could never, ever imagine, okay? You know, we live in a kind of me-centric world um, where boldness, loyalty um, are two of those character traits that don't often coexist, boldness and loyalty. But in a person of noble character, they're always present. And we see that in Ruth. Now consider our text for today, all right? We're gonna take a look at Ruth chapter three, verses one through 18. And this is where, once again, um, we see the hesed of Boaz, and we see the hesed of Ruth um, coming out um, in this kind of, um, kind of strange story, um, but also one that um, I think is important for us to navigate. So here's what it says, and it's gonna be up on the screen and just kind of follow along and, and, and soak it in, if you will. Okay, it says this. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her daughter, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I told you it was weird, okay? I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. 
She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down in the middle and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Now, before I finish, let's say a word about this guardian redeemer. Um, in every family in Israel, the head of the family was considered to be this guardian Redeemer, okay, responsible for, you know, the well-being of the family. The person was expected to rescue, to ransom, to buy back, to recover or redeem anyone or any property that was in danger of being removed from the family um, by poverty or war, you know, or death. Boaz became the guardian redeemer of Naomi's family, and he was needed to fix two problems, okay? A parcel of land that had to be bought back, you know, redeemed, and Ruth needed a husband. Boaz had to do some, some clever bargaining to redeem the land and marry Ruth, um, but he was successful. And that's why he said, although it is true that I am the guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. And so he, he goes on to say this. He says, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. He got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Okay, there's all kinds of stuff that's here, and we're gonna focus on some and leave some others to the side, <laughs> okay? Um, some have understood, all right? I can't, I, gotta, I can't ignore it, I gotta go a little bit. Some have understood the phrase, uncover his feet, as a code um, for something sexual, okay? Um, I just felt like I couldn't let it go completely, all right? And to be honest, um, as you study through this, the ancient Hebrew does allow for that meaning, okay? But um, I'm just not convinced because I don't believe that was the case. Boaz later, you know, he praises Ruth um, and her virtue. And Boaz was celebrated 
in this village, everything that we know about him was he was this high man of integrity, right? When people saw Boaz, they knew what they were getting. They knew who he was, what his character was. He was this high person of integrity. And in this moment, it's important because, you know, spoiler alert, you know, Boaz mentions that there's another man, you know, who has first rights to marry Ruth, okay? And I find it difficult to believe that Boaz, knowing about this other man, would, would sleep with her and then say, I have let um, him, I, I have to let him first, you know, have first dibs on marrying you um, before I can. And to be celebrated as an honorable man in scripture, it doesn't seem like that is exactly right, okay? So, um, so there's that possibility that's there. I didn't want to just ignore it, um, but I don't think that's exactly what's going on. And here's the other thing that is really important that I really want to emphasize and get to. We need to be careful um, as, we, as we read through the book of Ruth um, and understand how at the time it would have been heard, you know, thousands and thousands of year ago, years ago, you know, not through the lens of our culture's love stories, okay, that, that we're familiar with, that we're steeped with, that we sort of resonate with, okay? Here's the thing, Ruth was not meek, okay? She was a woman who was assertive, who took the lead, and she did so in a culture where women we're still being treated as property. So the boldness that she had was just kind of unheard of. You know, she stood out as a woman who was listened to and followed. And we're told, recognized as a real person of character. Ruth is a real story of love, but not kind of sappy love, right? It's a beautifully written um, exploration of this idea of hesed, you know, this ancient word that describes kindness and graciousness and loyalty that goes beyond just the simple call of duty. Um, loving kindness that's deep and strong. And we learn something important about this idea of hesed and character through Ruth through Naomi and through Boaz, they all demonstrate this noble character. You know, last week we saw Naomi's said her loving kindness to Ruth and Orpah when she told them to return to their families. You know, she's in this situation. Her husband's dead, the two boys are dead, and she's like, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't really expect anything. I shouldn't expect anything from these two women. I got to figure out things on my own, right? And she says, she says to them, um, you know, just, just go back to your families and be free. But, all right, we saw Ruth demonstrate her hesed to Naomi when she stayed with her and chose the harder path. We see the hesed of Boaz when instead of just throwing... Um, he could have just thrown Ruth off his land when she was gleaning. Remember when she was gleaning the crops and she really had no right to be there and she boldly walked up and said, can I glean you know, your leftovers? And not only doing that, but going at it hard that people recognized her hard work ethic and her character in that. And, and going after enough food for her and Naomi, demonstrating her, her hesed, her devotion to Naomi. Boaz, in that moment, 
lived into the larger idea that he was called to and was being tested on of making sure that the people around him, no matter who they were, no matter who they were, had enough to eat. You know, Ruth, in this straightforward approach, um, it could have gone badly for her in that gleaning field. It could have gone really badly for her when she approached Boaz in the night on the threshing floor. He could have, you know, by all rights, just really gotten angry about her and just sent her out, right? But Hesed took over. Loving kindness, steadfast love, loyal love, kindness, deep connection that doesn't end. Some of that in us may come from who came before us, right? You may look to your parents or a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, someone whose blood is in you and recognize that some of the character traits that you have come from their character. Maybe they taught you something. <laughs> maybe, maybe you saw that when you were younger and went, that's what I wanna be, right? And so we get some of that from blood. It's in our blood, so to speak. But it also comes from our choices. It comes from the choices that we make. I can make a noble choice and I can make a disgraceful choice. Every day, maybe just like me, we all have that opportunity, right? To make noble choices and to make disgraceful choices. And when we make those choices, they affect who we are. They affect the next choice that we make. Those things come together to help us live out this grand idea of what God calls us to and what he demonstrates every day, this idea of said. I wanna finish with just a couple of quick things. Um, a couple of ideas um, about what said is and, and how we can maybe, um, maybe practice that a little bit better, okay? So um, if said, said this loving kindness, it's always intentional, okay? It's always intentional. Notice how intentional Ruth was. She decided to glean. She asked to glean with the harvesters. She told Boaz he was her family redeemer. Um, being a Ruth <clears throat> means being intentional. She decided to be lovingly kind and decided to take steps to make things happen. Those were things within her character that she showed, that she demonstrated. She showed incredible courage at each one of these times. She risked rejection. She risked people being angry at her. She risked her own status. Yet the payoff was that she is celebrated as an incredible example of hesed because she decided to live out the character that was within her and make some noble choices along the way. Um, Hesed, loving kindness, is also patient, okay? Ruth's story didn't happen, you know, 
overnight. She spent months working hard in those fields. If you go back through the scripture, it talks about how um, she started in one season, then the next, then the next, and the next. And Boaz noticed her. You know, he kept noticing what was going on with her. Maybe something was starting right there. Who knows? But it wasn't just the next day, right? It was like months and months, seasons had gone through. She, she, she put herself on the line over and over to get what she wanted and to take care of Naomi over time. It wasn't a one, one moment in time, okay? So being a Ruth means being intentional, right? Um, it, means, it means being patient and being intentional, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians says this. It says, love is patient and kind. We've all heard that. Love is patient and kind, right? And so Ruth demonstrated that. When someone you need to be patient with, um, who is that? Who is the someone that comes to mind right now who maybe you need to be more patient with, who you need to love a little bit more deeply? Is there something you're meant to do that you need to be more patient with? Maybe you've given up on some idea or some prompting that God has given you because you just ran out of patience. But maybe we need to hang on to that a little bit more deeply. You know, part of love is being patient, trusting God to work things out um, in his timing. I hate that, to be honest. I, don't you? I'm just, wanna, I'm just trying to be honest up here. <laughs> I just want what, what I think it should be more quickly. God, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Still hanging out here, waiting, waiting. I know what that means. I have been there, and I don't like it. I didn't like it. I never like it, but God has his own timing, and he works it out for us, and he is indeed faithful. And the last idea of this loving kindness, um, this has said, is that um, it requires a sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Boaz... Boaz sacrificed for Ruth and Naomi, you know, over and over. He gave from his harvest. He provided resources. You know, he committed to this marriage. And we'll see next week, it was to his great cost. It was to his great cost. Here's the thing. No matter what <laughs> might be going on in your world or in the world around us, our personal lives, in our family, we have the daily ability to make honorable choices and practice this kind of love and sacrifice for others, has said. It's the pillar, one of these pillars that keeps the world going. We have to practice has said in the little small details of our lives just practicing it in the little small details of our lives. I was reading a devotion this week about this whole, this idea, and the words El Shaddai were mentioned, okay, which is a word used about um, a number of gods in the ancient world, but it's also um, one of the names of God. And Naomi uses it to describe her God, El Shaddai being the powerful one. At one time in this story, people would see Naomi 
And they would go, hey, Naomi. And she would say, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. <laughs> call me bitter. Why? <laughs> Look what she had been through. Husband died. Sons died. Nothing was good. She said, call me bitter. But as she found it within herself to dig into and practice the idea of said, and those around her practiced said toward her, she moved from call me bitter <laughs> to call me Naomi because my God, El Shaddai, is the powerful one. Look what he has done in my life and in the lives of those that I love. This is a good story. This is an amazingly good story. It's a heartwarming story, a story of redemption and love where noble choices made by people who have been refined by God are amplified for us to learn from, to soak in, and aspire to. I hope that, um, that I can more and more lean into my hesed and that you can more and more lean into your hesed so that, that our families and those around us may feel that and understand the powerful, the El Shaddai, come to know him and to love him more deeply. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for being the architect of Hesed, being the one that shows us loving kindness, not in small measures, not in small periods of time, but all of the time. If you offer it over to us, you demonstrate it. Let us find it. Let us lean into it. Um, let, us, let us love it. And Lord, let your greatness and your power wash over us and give us the ability in our daily lives to practice said, <laughs> to give loving kindness and devotion to those that we love. Lord, empower us. Show us the way. We love you so much. We thank you for who you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.